Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? I'm amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's Amazing Radio. I am your host, Dr. Law. With me, as always, DJ Mark. Sup. Also with me, Kid Presentable. Eating three corn dogs. Finally, also joining us this week, Lavender Gooms. I have never had a corn dog. In your life? What? <laughs> How? <laughs> yeah, in my life, I've never had a corn dog before. Okay. I would recommend Mike, do you like hot dogs and cornbread? Do you like those two things? I mean, do you ever yeah. think that like there's anything wrong with it, them together? It's amazing, Mike. No, Mike, it's I, a goddamn amazing. I, I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm against the idea of corn dogs. I'm just saying I've never had one. I would recommend uh, changing that, Mike. It's just so deep fried, man. It's like at this point in my life, I haven't had one yet. Like, do I really need to have one? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Start with yeah, that. The answer, the answer is yes. Yeah. That's... I, I get that rationale. You... You I haven't don't. experienced something that's bad for you. Why? Why? Why experience how good? But Mike, that's fucking insanity. I don't know how you live. How, I don't know how you get to thirty-five without ever having a corn dog. I mean, I, I've that's never had someone that as that like that's like a cornerstone of my diet. So I have, me, uh, I've never had meatloaf in my life. I'm not sure if that's weird. Right. Or not. There's probably some weird shit I haven't had. Honestly, honestly, that's weirder than my never having had a corn dog. I man, I got, I got immigrant. You know, no, you got immigrant parents too, but uh, yeah. Meatloaf never came up in my house. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not a big meatloaf fan, so that doesn't doesn't shock me. The the, the meatloaf that I've had here, uh, you know, um, you know that my my mom has made. It's always been, you know, full of sazon and you know rice and beans is right next to it as well. So it's a different type of meatloaf. I'm just saying, well, if we got any ground beef, which I presume is how meatloaf is made, it is going to be turned into some kebab. Because that is how the Rajabi family is rolled. <laughs> I, I, think the, I think meatloaf was just created by unimaginative people. Because that's like the worst thing to do with beef. <laughs> like, yeah. and it also I, has I mean, a lot of forms of beef. And yeah. the meatloaf has never been the best utilization. Go, going back to corn dogs, where exactly do you find corn dogs in their natural habitat? Like, where would you, at the fair? At a fair, fair is probably gas station. The place you most likely experience gas station. Also, gas station sure. Yeah, people go to people get gas. More than they get to go to the fair, you're saying more than going to it, run it, it. It's considered fair and festival food. Yeah, Keep but Bobby, on a stick. You, you, you're, now you're leading Mike to eating a gas station corn dog for his first corn dog. You're fucking him up, Mike. You haven't tried it. Next time you're at the fair, Bobby, don't even give me that. Like a, a gas station is no place to have your first anything. Next thing Bobby's gonna say is that he gets his sushi from a gas station. Can, as can I share a gas station story real quick? Um, it was a few years ago. Uh, my dear friend and uh, fellow podcast mate Mark and a friend of ours Eddie, we were uh, we were down in San Diego for Comic Con. We were about to begin our you know ten hour road trip back. So we're gonna what do you do when you start a road trip? You make sure you're topped off. You gotta have gas. Mark decided in his infinite wisdom at the start of this road trip to get two chili cheese dogs from the oh, AMPM no. at the Arco station. Oh no! And I was like, that's a really bad way to start the road trip. And about thirty minutes later. I believe Mark said, I think we'll need a bathroom. And so <laughs> that first stop came about three hours earlier than I intended it. I honestly have no memory. This was a trip. This is a trip I, I had to bail on, I think, a month out. And now I'm thinking if I was on this trip, I definitely would have said, AMP seems like a bad idea. What I do remember is I was trying to get in the hotel, and they're like, yo, you booked the hotel for next week. I'm like, Oh, we fucked. <laughs> oh, we fucked hard right now. We're at Comic Con with no hotel reservations. I believe uh, Expedia also charged you for a second hotel room in trying to fix it, and then that hotel told us, "I don't know what they charged you for. We don't have vacancy, but uh, you had the charging card." That was a very uh, interesting road trip. Okay, before before we get away from the corn dogs, I'm just going to get ahead of the thing here, Mike. When you get to Trader Joe's next time and you see the turkey corn dog, don't get it. <laughs> that is not how you're going to experience it either. So, what I, is a corn I, dog normally made out of? It's literally, a hot dog wrapped in cornbread. That's basically yeah. it. Yeah, right. on a stick. I I highly recommend at the grocery store they have mini corn dogs. 
Ooh, good choice. Uh, that's, that's probably not your best first corn dog experience because you need it on a stick. But but it is uh, the Totino's pizza roll of corn yes. dogs. So. Oh. And what Christine, we actually did this a couple weeks ago, and we just got more mini corn dogs and crab ragoon. That's a good fried dinner right there. Now, one, one last question on corn dog eating etiquette. Um, are you allowed to eat it with a dipping sauce? And what type of dipping sauce should you use if yes. you can use dipping sauce? Well, that's whatever you like, baby. I was going to say, <laughs> probably what you put on a hot dog, I'd imagine. But that's just me. I think I'm Filipino. I use the spicy banana ketchup. Honestly, I also I'm, recommend mustard's good for him, too. I was going like to say mustard. mustard. If you like mustard, it's not going to fly, but... I, yeah, I'm a big mustard guy. I put I, I get spicy mustard too because I'm that kind of guy. But at minimum, it's there's gonna be hot sauce on mine. Okay. I'm just saying, you go to the supermarket, get yourself some corn dogs. You're gonna it's be pretty happy. simple. If it works with hot dogs, it'll work with corn dogs. Just to be clear, I wasn't saying the, fa- the the gas station was the best place to get them. I'm just saying that's where they exist. They're always there. They do. Right? They do. But I don't. I don't want to lead Mike into that direction because he's much more like you. Like you said, Bob, he's much more likely to be at a gas station and see a corn dog than at the county yeah, fair. Yeah, and I also have to respond to Mike saying I get my sushi from a gas station. I just want to say there's one person on this podcast who eats mayonnaise sandwiches, and it's not me. I do not eat mayonnaise sandwiches. <laughs> I'm not trying to slander my goddamn name, okay? I live with you for two years. Bread and mayonnaise is a mayonnaise sandwich. I, I never I never put mayonnaise in between two slices of bread and ate it like that, all right? What? Don't go spreading lies. So you just Although have toast I with will, mayonnaise. I will relent that I do like mayonnaise more than a normal person. But I've never made a mayonnaise sandwich, okay? I mean, Mike, okay. every sandwich that has mayonnaise, that's a mayonnaise sandwich. <laughs> I was going to say, I brought, I brought this nice up on purpose. A nice ham and cheese with some mayonnaise. That's, that's good. That's good living. Let me tell you, Mike, I knew what I was doing here because Stefan hates mayonnaise more than he hates racism. All right. That's, that's Stefan. All right. Yeah. He, he's, he's got, he's gotten used to dealing with racism. He can't deal with mayonnaise. Yeah. And I don't blame him. As someone also, well, okay. Racism is worse to me than mayonnaise. I might put a mayonnaise here and there, but. But don't I, just wanna, have I, I literally have seen Stefan look at it like, like I'm like, what is in this thing? And then he'll start describing it. He'll be like, eggs and oil. They got mayonnaise in this. Like he's yeah, breaking I don't, down ingredients. Bobby, I don't, the reason it is, it's called white supremacy. <laughs> what does what mayo look like to you, Bobby? <laughs> um, okay. If you guys are still listening to this podcast, <laughs> we really appreciate and love you all. Um, you got you. Know, it's where it's all jokes here. We got we just like food. If, if you haven't listened. We like food over here. We want that yeah. Trader Joe's sponsorship. It's never coming, but go get yourself some food from Trader Joe's. It, 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 am I bold enough to make a complaint about Trader Joe's now, or am I risking everything if I do? That's the question. Because are, are, I, they giving, are, there, are they putting money where it shouldn't go? No, no. I'm just saying, in a world where everybody else has gotten some way to get groceries from your house to your from the store to your house, Trader Joe's remains the only holdout. Like the only one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they I gotta pay their shit. Okay. Bro. I need you to stop because Trader Joe's has the same price for all their shit in all. I don't know if it's all fifty states, but at least in the forty-eight continental states. All right. So the fact that you can get corn dogs in the Bay Area for the same price that they do in Jackson, Mississippi, you need to shut up with your little first world problem. I'm like, I feel you weren't listening to me. Do not get these turkey corn dogs that exist at Trader Joe's. All right? If there are regular corn dogs, yes. But don't hey, get the I'm, turkey. I'm thinking about the economic impact. It ain't cheap to employ 38 cashiers that keep that line always moving. They got their little paddle waving you on. You don't, the weight flies when you're at Trader Look, I'm Joe's. Not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to condemn them. I'm just saying it'd be nice. All right? All right, guys. Uh, fuck me. All right. Um, this was in Vegas too, right? This fast car. Uh, someone called uh, it UFC Apex. Vegas Four. Yeah. But uh, it's Apex. They've been in Vegas a billion times. Yeah, exactly. But... Um, UFC, another show on free TV. Um, look, let's just get into it. The main event was the best fight of the year so far. Uh, Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker just. Beat the shit out of each other. Um, I think Hooker took the first two, and then Poirier took the next three is what I had. Um, Marcus, what do you think? I think that's what I was. My scorecard ended up being. What'd you have? Uh, yeah. I mean, it was it was hard to really like count the first couple rounds. They were super close, but yeah, I think that that was the general consensus. I think anytime the fight is close, 
it's just easy to be like two two each last round. That that's that that's the championship round. And I, I mean, I think that's accurate to how this fight played out. But yeah, it, it, this is one of those fights where I I don't want to keep a scorecard. I'm having so much fun watching it. I don't want to inject my own opinion. Just let these guys do what they do. And it, it was a fantastic fight. Yeah, uh, big uh, Dan Hooker. When I saw, I mean, Mike, we were talking about it when the fight started. We're like, man, Hooker is way bigger than him. And it wasn't going great at the beginning for Poirier at all. We're like, oh, okay. Maybe we all didn't need a lineup in front of uh, behind Poirier on this one. <laughs> yeah, Dan Hooker had like a solid three to four inches on Poirier looked like. And he just looked like a lot bigger than Poirier. Looked mm. like he was fighting in a different weight class. And did you guys feel that Dan Hooker got away from those calf kicks way too much after the second round? Because those were working for him so well. I agree with that assessment. I I thought he might, honestly, it started, I, th- I kept thinking that he was like gassed and he might've just been, but like there was at least somewhere around the third round. I'm like, Dan Hooker looks exhausted, but then he's, you know, still throwing three rounds of more, more, three more rounds. But, um, I mean, Mike, I mean, I don't think we need to break it down more than the greatest stat in the UFC history remains that if you beat Paul Felder, you lose your next fight. No one Damn. has ever got a win after beating Paul Felder, Felder in their next fight. So it's funny they showed one uh, when they were showing like live fighter tweets reacting to the fight. Now they had Paul Felder. He's like, I'd definitely come out of retirement to fight either of these two guys. <laughs> and uh, yeah, clearly just no, no, stay, stay retired, Paul Felder. If you lose to Paul Felder, if, if you get your, if you find an opportunity to beat Paul Felder, though, you are not going to be successful in your next fight. So that just, that just shows the greatness of Paul Felder that uh, clearly you drained for your next fight. Um, Dustin Poirier still showing he's among the elite. Dan Hooker didn't really show that he was an elite. Mark It just you know you get beat sometimes. Yeah. Um, this fight was, was and it was not a mismatch at all. This was the right fight for him to take. Yeah, and this, this fight was largely you know a, a test of of stamina and what these guys could really pour in, which is which is a tough outing for Dan because you have to realize you know Dustin has had a lot of uh, main events. He's gone the distance five rounds a couple times, you know, with really high caliber opponents that really push the pace. So I think in those avenues, he definitely had the advantage. You know, he had to weather this early storm, which, you know, we saw in the first two rounds. Dan Hooker, I mean, these guys were closely contested in those rounds, but Dan Hooker definitely threw more. He had a lot more options. The range was definitely working for him. You know, Dustin had to get in to be successful, and that was hard early on. And one thing I really liked with Dan Hooker that I think, you know, outside of the the cab kicks, like Mike mentioned, uh, you know, he was going to the body successfully in the first couple rounds. And I think as he started getting more wear and tear, as the stamina, you know, starts going down, I think the overall strategy started to get a little more simplified where he was headhunting a lot more. He wasn't mixing up his strikes. And obviously, Dustin kept pushing the pace and he made it harder and harder. You know, when you look at this, if we had a visualization of the of the stamina bars, those first two rounds, they were, I think they were really dead even with how much they were taking and outputting. Um, and I think the body shots to Dustin was keeping uh, the stamina rate fairly even, but it was really those 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 later rounds where we've seen Dan Hooker struggle with 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 the stamina, you know, uh, pacing himself. And I think a lot of it just had to do with Dustin knowing that he had to go five hard rounds consistently, training for that, successfully getting his body into that shape, um, and pushing the fight. And one thing that I've liked out of the corner of Dustin, and we've seen this with a couple of high caliber guys like Justin Gaethje, um, they. And we've seen Winkle John do this as well. They, I think it's really smart when you can have a fighter or convince a fighter that this shit's fun. Because when you're in there and you're fighting as hard a fight as Dustin was in this fight, going into the fifth round, and you know the corner saying, like, you're having fun? He's like, yeah, I'm having a blast. I think when you can have that mentality of, like, I'm not going to fucking hell right now, which is actually what they are doing, is just two dudes blasting each other. Um, for him to have fun, I think, mentally makes him really strong in those late rounds. You met Greg Jackson, right? Sorry, yeah, Winkle, John, Greg, Jack. I mean, those guys. I, I feel like a lot of the corners do the same thing in that particular camp in, in New Mexico and in and how you know now Colorado as well. But I feel like they they well, have yeah, a mentality so of trying to make them. it fun. Yeah, there's so much pressure. I think about it already. You're stripped to the waist. You're just in there, gonna fight a dude, trying to make it you know a little lighter. Um, big win for Dustin, man, bouncing back from um from the Khabib loss, which at this point was like eight months ago. But Khabib still hasn't fought anybody either, so. Great. Um, and uh, I know Dustin does the thing where he uh, always auctions off his fight gear and donates the proceeds to charity. Um, so if anybody's interested in doing that, you know, if you got money to spend, if you want to get some cool mer- cool uh, memorabilia from 
what at this point is the fight of the year, and at minimum is the fight of the first half of the year. Um, you can check that out. Probably, I think it's on his Twitter handle. And uh, I saw that they gave him the first ever some sort of a. I think they called it the Forrest Griffin. Yeah, because Forrest does a, Forrest does a lot of charity stuff too. And um, basically, the it's the NFL, it's the UFC version of I think the Man of the Year stuff. Is that what it's called? In the NFL, where you just do a lot of charity, and it's they're the like, Walt, "Yeah, the their yeah. Walter Payton Award is their uh, kind of person of the year." Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, when he was here with the Niners, Anquan Bolden won it. I remember yeah. um, him and the commissioner had a back when I was working for Yelp. They had a like a whole luncheon with the media as restaurant at the base of our building. I remember. Yeah, um, so that was really cool. Dustin's a really one of those good guys, so it's good to see that. And uh, I'll say it for the thousandth time: check out Fightville if you can find the documentary anywhere. Not saying pay for it, but if you can find it somewhere streaming that you have a subscription, it's definitely worth your time. Just to see young Dustin Poirier and I think uh maybe Chase Beebe from the WC is in there too. So old it's a real blast from the past there. Um all right. Is Let's- Chase Beebe it was a guy in, in WC, someone refresh my memory, where they're like, Hey, we're folding WC into the UFC. Horodeki. If you if it's Horodeki, is nah, if you want a job, it. you gotta make you gotta change weight classes, and he's like, Nah, I'm good. And Hordecki was like he fired, then change weight. <laughs> Hordecki was really young too. That guy, he's—I mean, he could have—he was a good fighter, honestly. But but it wasn't fun for him, like yeah. Mark was saying. It wasn't fun for that guy. Um, let's—I'll be honest. Um, the second selling point of this fight, though, possibly the biggest news all week was Mike Perry and his "I'm going to have no coaches or cornermen besides my girlfriend" uh, strategy. Um and. I saw a bunch of people complaining because I guess when they went the commercial break, they like they went around ended and they actually went the commercial break and everybody was just like more interested in what she was gonna tell him than um you know the fight itself. Um, the highlight Mike Perry looked great. He beat up Mickey Gall a lot, and the uh, highlight for me was uh, you're not gonna talk when, about what she said after all that. Well, Michael, she, she, Michael, only, she only said two things. Well, Michael Bisping said the time goal because Michael Bisping was like, "Yeah, his corner, his girlfriend just said hit him in the head, hit him in the face," and then at that exact second, Mike Perry dropped Mickey Gall, and man, Michael Bisping goes, and then he and he did. <laughs> so, <laughs> look, man, he look he fought well, Steph. He did well. He put pressure on Mickey Gall. And Mickey Gall clearly doesn't like pressure. Pressure. Uh, yes and no. The thing I was alluding to jokingly was uh, her corner advice. She only said two things when they were in the corner, and it was, uh, you're doing great, babe, and do you want me to put the ice anywhere else? Oh. She said that like seven <laughs> times, and he had to keep me like, my head is fine. Just my head is fine. Like, um, it was cute. I felt for her. She's like, man, I, I feel I should do something. So I, I feel bad in what I'm about to say because, yeah, he, he fought a really good fight. Um, I picked against him, but it's, it's more so just – it was just personal reasons. It was petty reasons. It wasn't any fight technicality. Um, and he said, he, he, he said for me to not do what I'm about to do. He said, now that I won, don't take it away from me. But I'm gonna. Because frankly, Mickey Gall is not a UFC caliber fighter. I was going to um, say, I, I picked Mickey Gall because I thought Mickey Gall had the skills to do this. And I oh, saw, I didn't think he had the yeah. skills. He, I thought I thought he didn't think he was going to. I mean, he, I don't know how he won a round. I don't know which round that was, but I really thought like he's getting bulldozed here the whole time. I, I picked him to win just because I would have want I wanted him to win. Um, you know, I want the guy who beat CM Punk to mean something, uh, but it doesn't. He's he his stand up is not UFC caliber. He doesn't have good enough takedowns to get them at all. Like he, he moved fine, but he just looked out of his depths in this fight. Um I'd be very shocked if he got another UFC fight at this point. Um you know, it's like the indie thing in wrestling. I think he needs to go work on his craft and see if he can come back stronger. But there's not a lot of other options to do that right now. So um, I don't know. Lays. You know, good job. He won. But I think at the end, you, this was a one fight thing. You can see he's he's looking for training camp. He's looking for partners. I think he did it to prove a point. And, you know, hats off to him. He did. But I think he realizes this isn't a sustainable thing either. And against more credible UFC competition, he'll want to have a proper uh, corner honestly, and training uh- camp. Mike, I thought like despite the long meandering nature of his post fight an- interview, he was talking about the stuff that I'm like, this is the type of stuff Mike Perry should be talking about more about like, I need to do this, I need to do that, and I'm getting better. He, like it seemed like he, see, I mean, this is a man with a face tattoo, um, but he seemed like he was more on top of his shit, I guess, almost. <laughs> well, it's one of those things that 
no matter how few brain cells you have, at a certain point you realize, I don't have enough money. And these people seem to be taking away a lot of my money in taxes. I need to figure out a way to keep more of my money. So Mike Perry, you know, he's growing. You know, it's called the yeah. evolution, Bobby. Look, Mike Perry is going to be in the UFC as long as he wants to be in the UFC if he maintains a roughly 500 record. As long as he doesn't do anything stupid. Mark, he fights, he fights aggressively and his fights are entertaining, right? So it's where Mike Perry needs to decide almost like, or find out, I guess, is he going to just be a Sam Stout type or, uh, you know, I guess another example would be Mike Pyle or something like that. Someone who's good, but like, you're just there to entertain us, right? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, not to be unfair to the guy, but it does seem like there, there's somewhat of a ceiling, right? We've seen him against some, some of the top competition and him not do particularly well. Of course, this fight is interesting because he had no corner and, you know, we were all interested in seeing what was going to happen in between the rounds and how he would perform. And what I kind of saw, what I see in Mike Perry, and this, not that these two are like equal, but he reminds me kind of like Quentin Rampage Jackson. There's just certain fighters that the corner is not going to do much for him. This dude just knows how to fight. He's going to fight his way. And, you know, we were really, personally, I was really hard on Mike when he had his other former girlfriend in the corner. And I think she was giving advice I don't think was super helpful. And we all said, like, I think this guy needs to go to a better camp. And he did, right? He, he went to uh, New Mexico. And why am I forgetting that stupid gym again? Jackson's. Jackson Winklejohn? Yeah, Jackson Winklejohn, which is one of the, you know, most highly regarded camps. And it didn't really do much for him, right? And now we see him, and I think stylistically he matched up a lot better with Mickey Gall than I think a lot of us gave us credit for. Um, you know, I thought Mickey was going to have some advantages on the ground. You know, he seems like a very slick guy, but what I failed to recognize in his last couple fights, and I think especially with the Diego Sanchez fight, is that he he has a physicality problem where guys can just outmuscle him, and I think that's what Mike did. I mean, when Mike Perry was getting him down to the ground, he was just bigger, stronger than Mickey Gall, and Mickey Gall just didn't really have any defense for that. I, I, don't, I don't think his stand-up is atrocious. He has some good straight lefts. He has some good straight punches, but it just wasn't enough. M Mike just chewed him up. Um, it'd be interesting to see if he continues to go down this route with having no corner and to see potentially how successful he can be without getting marred with strategy and stuff because sometimes we can over-evaluate what's happening in the fight and try to make it extremely technical, but at the end of the the day it's just two dudes fighting each other you know and this is something that i think mike is just a natural born fighter and i don't think having a lot of technical advice maybe is helping him as much as it does other fighters because i think you look at a guy like dj and you look at matt hume and they have this connection where matt hume's pulling the strings like a master and i don't think mike perry is just that fighter you know i don't think a trainer is ever going to get to him to be like he's going to listen to a he's going to he's going to follow his instincts because he's a fighter so you know this is interesting i you know he got a good win here good on him and his girlfriend you know, I don't know what else she could do besides put ice on the back of his head. I don't want her dispensing advice that, you know, she doesn't really know the fight game. I think it's fine just to be there for moral support. He obviously seems to be very comfortable having a significant other in the corner because we've seen him do this consistently with different girlfriends and stuff. So, it, you know, it, if it works, you know, why, why, why try to, you know, uh, mess with it? But we'll see how long it works because it does seem from an outsider's perspective with all the successful fighters having extremely talented coaching doing you know and it also seems like you know what gym is he training with you know well here's the thing marcus i mean you said the quentin description and i think that was fair because a lot of times you felt like everything quentin was going to do in this fight he decided it wasn't like anything they said in the corner was going to matter you're just trying to keep quentin motivated and mike perry probably needs a guy like that too but in the training camp is where you figure out what you're supposed to do in this goddamn fight so hopefully he's training with the right people um, I just want to say, whoever went on Wikipedia and changed uh, Mike Perry's team to the team name being Mike Perry Girlfriend Latori Gonzalez. Um, okay. <laughs> um, it, it'll be interesting to see how him having no coach in his corner will be when he actually fights, uh, well, I would say elite competition because his next fight might be against Darren Hill, and that it, might it, be look, at 185 pounds. It better. It, is Mike? Is Darren Till moving up? Is Darren Till up at one eighty five now? Darren Till moved up to one eighty five. He, he he should be. But he his last fight he moved up. And Look. also speaking about Darren Till um, and Mike Perry, I wanted to give you guys an update on a poll that we discussed last week. So on MikePerryIsABum.com, um, the poll question: Who is the biggest bum in the UFC? It's uh, it's closed. 
with uh, 23,695 votes in. Who do you guys think won? There's been nine more votes since you looked. <laughs> By the way. Uh, well, uh, CM Punk lost is losing resoundingly at 25%. Mike Perry has 75% people thinking he is a, the biggest bum. I mean, MMA math just taught us otherwise, quite frankly. Um, yeah, all right. Uh, Mike Perry, by the way, his Wikipedia picture looks like a video game cover, almost. Like, if you were going to make, like, a fight night, it kind of looks like that. Um, big win for the man, though. Props. And, yeah, Mickey Gall. Mickey Gall's got some good coaches with that Jim Miller, Jim Miller and his brother Dan. But they got he's got to figure some shit out, you know. Yeah, le lesser competition seems like the way to go. But hell, man, Steph, he's cheap. So maybe they just keep him around fighting entry-level guys. So we'll see. Um, John Vellante, Maurice Green. Um, Maurice Green got real lucky here. Um, and quite frankly, John Vellante has no business in this weight class. So I came out of this fight being more impressed with out-of-shape John Vellante, even though he gave away the fight. Because Maurice Green didn't didn't look good at all. I mean, Steph, what'd you think? <laughs> oh, Maurice Green looked good for one round, um, but then he kind of oh. lost it after that. His stand up looked pretty all right. He he threw interesting uh, teep kicks. He had good kickboxing. Um, every time John came in early on that first round, he would throw these elbows, and you saw like John's corner got pissed at him for not throwing hands those first couple of rounds. But it's because Green was making him respect the distance, you know. Yeah. Um, so it was it was definitely interesting. Um, I, I agree with you that this isn't his optimum weight, um, but kind of what I was saying is my takeaway is like these were, I mean, I ended up feeling bad for both these guys, right? And if you saw Maurice Green's post-fight like interview speech, like he couldn't even speak for a couple of minutes because the man was just like in tears. Both of these guys seem like they really needed thing, luck to go their way. I guess Maurice Green, he's moving his whole family and his moving his family was dependent on if he could get that win bonus because that's how much he's scraping by like that's a that's a tough story right there and then john i think he's at heavyweight because of what they mentioned they said he had caught pneumonia seven times in the last two years racking up medical bills like he hasn't been doing that hot like it wouldn't shock me that he kind of ballooned up got out of shape a little bit just you know trying to take care of his health right you can't really yeah be in the two, gym. 255 man that's uh big for the man he's a tall guy but yeah. 255 Woo. I mean, um, his skill set was there, right? And that's what made the fight interesting is he had power. And he always that, that's never been his issue is power, right? It's just kind of not making these little mental slip-ups, not giving something like a submission away at the last instant, you know, fighting that smart fight. But, yeah, he, he, the kicks, the, the, the body kicks really started taking green out, and that's where he started gassing like crazy. But um, it was a really tough fight. It, 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 kind of at the end of the day, it was tough to see either of these guys lose. Um yeah. yeah. Um John Vellante, seventeen and twelve now. Um hadn't fought in a year and a half. Stefan mentioned the struggles he's had. And John Vellante is somebody that when he came into the UFC there were some high expectations. Um he was actually getting more pub than um than his teammate Weidman at the time, I remember when he first came up. Um so. Yeah, back when his name first came up and like there used to be other organizations, there used to actually be like scouting reports. Like who are the best prospects in each division? And Volante was the top, considered the top light heavyweight prospect for a little bit there. Um, and uh, came out of Strike Force. Um, but you know, man's had a, at least three or four losses where I'm like, he's winning this, and then get, goes away. Um, Marcus, was there anything else on this card um, that stuck out to you? Yeah, there's actually a lot of guys that I feel bad because some of these guys I think had great performances and I'm still going to forget them when they in the next fight comes. Uh, that probably being Brendan Allen, his fight with Kyle Dukakis. Oh, I'm saying that name right. That was a banger. That was a good ass fight. Um, and Brandon looked. I mean, I think both guys stand up really wasn't their strong suit, although they, they threw down. Um, I think grappling is really where both guys really excelled, and it was a fun grappling match. And what I really liked. Um, with Allen, uh, one, he stayed calm and collected the whole time. But what I really like, besides just good positioning, good ground movement, his ground and pound was nasty. I don't, you guys didn't probably see this one. He got some elbows. He got he, he got in the guard. He threw one big elbow. And I, God, sometimes I hate the commentary. I, 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 saw, Cruz, I saw this guy. I saw his last fight, Mark. Brandon Allen's ferocious on the ground. Yeah, and Dominic Cruz mucked up this thing. because he So he hit him with a great knee in the beginning. And he's like, 
that's where he cut Kyle. I was like, no, we didn't cut him with the knee. It was the second elbow. And he's like, oh, wait, that wasn't it. And they show the first big elbow. I was like, that's the elbow that cut him. You clearly see him get hit with the elbow and no cut happens. I was like, fucking Dominic. It's the second elbow. They didn't show it. Um, but he had a nasty cut. And, and these guys went back and forth. And it was a great performance from uh, Brendan Allen. So I really have to try to. The problem is. He just looks like a generic white dude with two white dude first names. It's going to be hard in three months to remember. So, Bobby, if you can maybe cue me in that, like, this was a fight I really liked. Um, I have a very superficial thing that I'll remember about him because it was my first uh, judgment was uh, he is a super, super white dude. And he specifically has the Polynesian tribal tattoo. And mm, it yeah. just reminds it reminds me of those white dudes used to get the generic barbed wire tribal tattoo. Oh, I, I brought this now up, you're getting Mike. the specifically Asian ones. Like, all right, all right. Mike and I <laughs> talked about this. Or I remember this, Mike. We're just like, what? I forget which one of us called him. Uh, looks like a pale the rock. That was you. <laughs> that definitely was something you said. Let's oh, be okay. honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's that revitiligo. Um, just just want to say that uh, Dominic Cruz scoffing when Keith Peterson got announced. Under his breath, and the microphone's catching it. Like I like Dominic quite a bit as an analyst, but I'm like Dominic, you're better than this. <laughs> Come on, man, you're better than this. Uh, it going on a uh, Takaki Shisato. He had a great quick knockout. Um, you guys probably didn't see the Sean Woodson um, Julian Erosa fight. That was a barn burner. Uh, <laughs> one thing I most recommend you guys go back and watch it because Sean Woodson. I don't want to. You know, I'm not here to body shame people. That's not what I'm here for, but. I gotta say, this dude's body's fucking weird. <laughs> it kind of freaks me out a little bit because this dude he, weird is not how he I has, that going. He has like a kind of big torso. He has like a wide frame. He's kind of a big guy, but his arms are super long and his legs are super long and they're so thin. It looks like you took like two different types of bodies and just clicked them together. You made someone in a creative fighter. That being I think said, I felt that oh, way about George Sotteropoulos, who Mark, had a weird hunchback torso. It sounds like you're describing Mr. Potato Head has taken a lot of jujitsu classes. Kind of. I mean, honestly, I, I look. I'm not, I want to shame the guy because he actually had a great performance, even in losing. Um, he's very lengthy. His stand up looked great. Julian Arosa is a fucking beast. He was just taking this dude's shots, and I mean, if you ever watch it, listen to the commentary. They couldn't be waxing poetic more about Wood, uh, Woodson. Oh, how great he is, and, and like. Halfway through the second round, you see Arosa turn it around. Like he's he's the aggressor now. He's getting into into the cl- he's getting into the pocket and throwing down hard. And they and slowly the tune starts changing. Like this Arosa guy's fucking tough. He's bringing it to him, and, and he actually finished him in, in the uh, third round with the submission. That was a super impressive fight. And honestly, I thought the prelims were really good too. Um, I've always liked uh, Luis Pena. I think he looks really great in a lot of his fights. He looked great against uh, Worley here, but he ended up losing. He he he. I think in the stand-up, he was he was getting a little bit worked. He started grappling a lot more. He had a lot more success there. And in one of the um, scrambles, uh, Worley just got one of those guillotines that's just so fucking tight. It's in so... and I mean, the guy didn't look for submissions the whole fight. Once he got that in, he finished it. Um, uh, Tanner Bozer had a great knockout. Um, and I think one of the other highlights was uh, Kay Henson. Never heard of her. Didn't know who she was. Um, she came in as a pretty big un- uh, uh, favorite and I guess, you know, I don't know. I don't know how they're getting this information in the booth now, but they seem to know, like, when these big bets come in and they're like, oh, someone put $37,000 the, on. Uh, casi- the casinos, well, what happened was a sports reporter, I think it was Ravel, Darren Ravel saw, reported about, I, I remember this one because my girl Jane Euphray got trucked by this girl. Um, it, what was that? What was the fighter's name, Marcus? Say it again. The, uh, Kay uh, Henson. Yeah, Kay Henson, thirty-seven grand came in on her. Um, and she made it, I mean, she one handedly, I know it took three rounds, but well, well, the first round she was struggling, which was funny because in between the second, the first and second, they're like, Oh, that guy that puts 20, 20, no, $38,000 on her is probably sweating. And honestly, all I thought was like, who's going to put that much money on her? Probably her. (laughs) And I'm like, no, no, no. They found the guy. Oh, okay. Okay. It was just some dude. (laughs) I was getting a little worried. Like she put a lot of money on herself and she's not doing super great, but I guess she's, She's from 10th Planet. I guess she runs like the Orange County branch or something. Once she was able to get this fight on the ground, she really excelled and she was able to finish it in the third round. That was a really good performance. And, and, and to your credit, Bob, uh, Junior Frey, however you pronounce her name, she looked really good in the stand-up too. She, I mean, and Kay was was in there boxing with her, throwing heavy shots, but Frey was getting the better. She had to adjust to get it to the ground. And that was a really fun fight. So yeah, this card was actually pretty good top to bottom, really. Um, yeah, uh, Junior Frey was uh, Adam White. 
champion, I believe, in Invicta. So uh, Michelle was Michelle Watterson was also Adam Wade champion, I believe. Yeah, that's that why when you mentioned you were excited for her, I'm like, I'm not. Adam Wade is not their natural. If if they're an Adam yeah, Wade, they're going to be undersized here. She's five foot two. Yeah, let's so. also remember Jessica Panay was an Adam Wade champion as well. So yeah, it's tough. Um, it's, they should bring Adam Wade to the UFC. It's better than uh, featherweight. Um, all right. Um, UFC's off for two weeks. Um, the next one is awesome. It is UFC 251. It has three title fights. Um, Kamara Usman, Gilbert Burns, uh, Alexander Volkanovsky against Max Holloway in his haircut, um, who looks like Max Holloway, his girlfriend broke up with him, is what that haircut screams. If it wasn't coronavirus time. Um, Peter, Jan, Jose Aldo, quite frankly, of those three fights is the one I'm most interested in, even though the guy in it doesn't deserve the title shot. That stand-up battle should be really good, quite frankly, Aldo and Jan. According um, to Dana White, Bobby, you're nuts, because if you don't think Jose Aldo deserves the title shot, you're crazy. Jose Aldo. Okay. Um, it's a horrible yeah. question. Didn't Jose Aldo lose his last fight? He did. Uh, Jessica Andrade, Rose Namajunas, a rematch. Amanda Rivas, Paige Van Zandt, a fight that will take place at 6 a.m., which was a much to the surprise of Ms. Van Zandt. Um, Vulcan Ozdemir's fighting on the undercard. Uh, Makwan Amir Khani's on the undercard. Leandro Santos, Marcin Tybura. Um, there's some guys on this, man. Uh, Bob, um, before we get into the card too much, do you know what time their time the first fight's going to start if her fight's at 6 and she's like probably the <laughs> dude it's too hot honestly i've been in the middle east in the summer this is no joke you got to get these people out there like at 4am but still it's like <laughs> you have a fight at 3 in the morning it's like i guess i'll wake up at 1 like I, that that sleep schedule's got to be nuts but i don't know that, that's crazy let me see cuz it's right now right now it's uh literally pay-per-view start time when we're recording this podcast pay-per-view would have started and pay-per-view start right now it is 6:16 so am in abu dhabi so let's go probably take three hours of prelims at least. You know, Four. So this, this is the one pay-per-view where I'm okay with it starting at 10 because look what they got to do. They should, okay. should start earlier, quite frankly. They should send them out there like at like 4 a.m. I mean, if you're already starting the main event at 6, like fuck it, start it at 4. Like help me out. Sweden um, doesn't hear your problems. Yeah, how Sweden had to do twice. Just to see their hometown hero just get absolutely destroyed, dude. That was the quietest thirty thousand people have ever come at once. That's still uh, it was so also cool. pretty quiet in Brazil when uh, Stipe uh, took the belt off for Doom. That one was that one was like thirty five thousand. Uh, Sweden was like over forty, I think. Yeah. It was a lot of people. Um, all right, um, yeah, this is a good. Then there's another card three. Uh, there's another card uh, three days later um, with Calvin Qatar and Dan Ige and uh, or Ige, sorry. And then Pedro Munoz, Frankie Edgar, uh, and Carlos Esparza, Marina Rodriguez. There's a lot of good fights on that one, too, quite frankly. Tim Elliott's on the undercard for some reason. Um, I don't know why we're doing this on a Wednesday. And then the following Saturday is another title fight with uh, Davis and Figueredo and Joseph Benavidez. Co-main event is Kelvin Gastelum versus uh, Danson Jack Hermanson. And then uh, Mark Casey is also on that card. Basically... Uh, now that they're going to be overseas, all the foreigners who are good at fighting and couldn't get out of their country and get to the U.S. can now fight. That's basically what we got going on. Um, UFC is pretty booked. Um, we wanted Darren Till and um, help me out, guys. Mike Perry. Um, turns out Darren Till's got a date on July 25th with Robert Whitaker. And if Darren Till loses that fight... Steph, I think him fighting Mike Perry makes a lot of sense. I believe you should have stated as when he loses that fight. Um, yeah. um, then we can, we'll get that fight next. Well, yeah, and then um, if he somehow beats Robert Whitaker, which if Robert Whitaker's coming through, I think he's had the taste to set, take some time away for some personal reasons. If Darren Till beats Robert Whitaker, Darren Till gets a title shot. If you beat Robert Whitaker in this weight class, after one fight off of him losing his belt, you get a title shot. That's if you, yeah, it, it's enough for me if Darren Till's beaten Gastelum and then beats Robert Whitaker. Just my opinion. Um, that's a really good, that's a pretty good fight night, too. It's got Verdun versus Gustafson. Um, Speaking of two countries that were silenced, one yeah. of them gets revenge. Um, co main event, though, is Shogun versus no, Hogerio Noguera for God, that's going to be sad. Um, they at least announced it's definitively his retirement match. 
Or at it least he's, he stated as much that this is, is just he's going to wrap it up, after, hang it up after this. Are you saying he because you don't want to say they because they both should probably retire? Which oh, one they both stood, but Rogerio is the one who said it. Oh, I thought Shogun's the one retiring here. Okay. Um, Shogun's still our age or something, basically. Is that where we're at? With... Oh, he's 38. Okay. Um, yeah, that's it. Um, I mean, we we're talking about corn dogs to lead this podcast, lead this podcast off, but let's go some uh, stuff we like. Um, I I just spent a whole entire weekend making bread. I'll be honest. It took me fucking twenty seven hours of effort to make two loaves of sourdough. That is passable. Um, so that's that's what I did. Make some bread if you want a project, and then appreciate the fact that bread costs so little in the supermarket because the amount of effort I put into it, all bread should cost three thousand dollars. Right? <laughs> that's my assessment. Yeah, um, how's that I, bread? Was that any good? It was pretty solid, honestly, man. You know, I was. I, I just bread is fresh. It's very hard for it to not be. Good. You uh, you put a little mayo on it. No, I uh, I had some uh, decent butter. You know, some Irish butter, mayo. <laughs> Maybe I'll make a sandwich out of it with a little mayo. We'll see. Um, I I, don't, I mean, honestly, I'm gonna need one of you guys to say you watched something that I remember I watched too, because I my mind is blank right now. So, uh, Mike, go ahead. Um, so I watched the. Didn't really watch that much this week, so I'll give you something I have lukewarm feelings towards. I watched the John Stewart directed uh, film *Irresistible*, uh, starring Steve Carell and uh, Rose Byrne. Uh, they're both playing a uh, political strategist, uh, strategic strategist, strategist in that movie. Uh, it was, it was okay. Um, if you can find it for free somewhere, uh, watch it. I wouldn't pay any money for it. And uh, the thing I like this week is off of a suggestion that uh, Stefan and Mark made last week. It's not Last of Us 2. It's the original one because I'm cheap and I like to wait until video games are 20 bucks. As we said, like hundreds of Game of the Year awards, like unprecedented amount of praise and accolades that game received. You're getting a bargain at 20 bucks, Mike. I really enjoyed the conversation I had with Steph. I think it was either after the podcast or the next day where I'm trying to get just final confirmation on whether I should get it or not. And Steph is selling me on it. And I reply to him. I mean, I guess it's 20 bucks on the PSN network. I guess I'll take a flyer on it. And Steph just replies back. I mean, it only won like 200 awards, but sure, you need to take a flyer on it. It's a real risk you're taking there. A real gamble, you know, the real throwing your hat in the wind, seeing what happens. But I'm glad you I'm glad you got into it. It sounds like you're enjoying it so yeah. far. Um, I mean, that, that's what matters. I, you gave it a shot and yeah. hopefully it seems like you're liking it. Yeah, uh, I, know, really I, know, it. I know we're about to segue into the Last of Us 2 section here a little bit more, I think. I had some um, other crap to talk about, too. I just want to say... Um, I'd say I'd like this if we weren't all being punished by these people, but all these people losing their mind in grocery stores because they're being asked to put on a mask. <laughs> yeah, Look, that it'd be, be fun. It'd be honestly, it'd be funnier if they weren't fucking us all over. Um, wear a goddamn mask, people. Wear a goddamn mask. It ain't that hard. New York. A- New York. After three months of hell and being the epicenter of this shit has had its lowest ho- hospitalizations and deaths since beginning of March. And somehow, with us being the hotbed of all of this and finally getting it under control, somehow, after three months, the United States is seeing record numbers of new cases. I, I don't want to bum you out, but we had it under control, too, and then people went outside. And now people are going outside for you and hanging out, and you're going to have it go up, too, because people are morons. Real dumb. Real dumb. Real dumb. Um, and then uh, I had one more thing before we get let's go to Stefan. Was that I liked it when I saw a headline because I saw that they wanted to change the name of the Orange County Airport from John Wayne Airport because John Wayne was a racist. And it wasn't like we discovered this information this year. We've known John Wayne as a racist for decades. And I saw a headline saying John Wayne's family says he wasn't a racist. Y- yes, he was. It, it, he just was. All right. <laughs> like, he was a racist. Um, and they probably shouldn't have named an airport after him. Anyway, um, Stefan, what do you got this week? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, like you said, Last of Us. Bob, you're going to. Uh, the Last of Us will come full circle and hit all of us when uh, that HBO series version of it comes out. That's when you'll hop on board. 
And, I uh, might have it somewhere around here. I don't know. It's possible. I, I I bought a bunch of PS4 games at one point before I stopped playing PS4. That's just what happened. Uh, but yeah, um, I'll talk about I'll, I'll talk about that last just because I know uh, Mark will probably jump into it too. So it'll be a nice segue to him. But um, in my K-pop world, a lot of big releases this past week. We had uh, Twice come came back a couple weeks ago. Happy to see oh, them. Yeah. Uh, Blackpink has their new uh, first kind of comeback after like a year and a half, and they ended up debuting their performance on whatever the Jimmy Fallon is show is nowadays. I never watched it in the first place. But, you know, that being the stage and platform for a K-pop group to debut their new song um, speaks volumes about where, you know, they are as a group and as an industry. Um, BTS had another comeback. Uh, it's fun. Kind of transitioning from there, I, I picked up a, a game I took a flyer on that uh, Mark sent me a fucking trailer, and it's so weeby. And it's so... It's, Mike, you might get it, but, like, the fact that I was so excited to give this thing a try, it's called Idol Manager. And it is uh, essentially a PC game where uh, you're starting as a J-pop talent agency, and your goal is to put together an idol group, and you gotta lift them to prominence. You gotta avoid scandal. You don't want, you, you know, you, you gotta deal with the egos. You know, the girl might be jealous that you made so and so the center, but she thinks she should be the center. I, I hope it leaves out all the really seedy parts of uh, being a J-pop manager. As oh, there's a, a I saw in the trailer in like, there's a scandal. Thing. There's a yeah. scandal that one of the idols is dating the manager, and I'm like, oh, it's a Japanese anime game? Of course there's a dating sim involved in this. Because but, I'll um, tell you this, some of the biggest perverts I've ever seen are people, and not people, by people, I mean 45-year-old men who are just diehard fans of these J-pop groups. Yeah, there, there's a very lecherous side to the k-pop and j-pop industries unfortunately um but yeah it seems like that's part of it. it it seems like it's like a dark comedy like it's a simulator that catches the aspects but it also kind of pokes fun at some of the shadier aspects of it and and, um, and to kind of put it in even a rosier light like the game looks visually fucking good like i remember when i, I when i when they first show the trailer they kind of do this pan uh, like of this big like i don't know, like eight story building and it's just fucking beautiful sprite work and i'm watching this thing like what the fuck is this game that someone spent fucking a lot of time making this shit look good and it's like idol manager and i was like well i have no interest in this shit and as you watch the trailer it's like i'm i'm not i have no interest in idol stuff but i do like games that try different things and that try to kind of you know reach outside the scope that games usually kind of you know go with so i was Honestly, someone who doesn't care anything about the idol culture or anything. I was like, this game is visually kind of appealing. And they like Steph said, they have like these little scenarios. And one of them in the trailer is like broken heel. And I was like, okay, I'm kind of into this. This is like kind of like <laughs> stupid, fun stuff. But I was really amazed. Like whoever's making this, they give a shit. Like they're putting fucking money and effort into making this game at least visually appealing. And games like this don't necessarily need that aspect. You can just have kind of like a text-based game. And yeah, it, it would seems, um, you know, fine. It seems like it was an indie, like, Kickstarter-type project. Um, so the game's not actually out yet, um, but when it comes gets its full release, it'll only be $15 on Steam. Um, what I ended up doing, just because I was interested enough, and, I, you know, whatever, it's supporting uh, independent artists, um, it was, like, Indie.io. Mark, I don't know if you're familiar with that website. Yes. Basically, you paid $25 to get access to the beta and then the full game when it does get released, because essentially that's what, when the project initially started, $25 was the pledge to get beta access. Um, and so um, yeah, it, it's still lacking some features. Again, it's it's not even on its full release yet. So they tell you right off the bat, okay, look, these features aren't here yet. Um, we're still missing these things. But I, I perused it a little bit. It, it, it seems like it's going to be fun. Um, it's voice work. It looks like it was a team of like eight people who made this to what you said, Mark. It looked like there were three artists for the entire game. Um, so you can you can tell it's it's a passion project and it looks it looks like dumb fun. So uh, I'm here for it. Um, Last of Us 2, I beat it. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about it. And all I want to do is for have Mark beat it so I can talk to him about these things. Kind of been having conversations day to day kind of as he, uh, he he progresses along as I was progressing along. Um, delving into the whole conversation about the game now because you know it, it it didn't receive the unanimous love that you kind of hope for a game like this. Um, it's a little divisive in the crowds. Um, for me, I give it a solid uh, critical eight uh, out of ten. I, I still think it's a very good game. It, there's issues I have with it, but um, fuck man, these these games are such well written stories, and like I've seen a lot of things fall apart. Like the the, the story writing, this is not like. It's good in any medium, but in the world of video games, this is world-class writing. Video games have some really bad writing, 
we've tolerated a lot of bullshit that we call really good games and video games just because our standards are a little lower. There's really good writing in these Naughty Dog games. Yeah, Pat, take it on board, Mark. Marcus, what do you got this week? No, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I've also been working my way through The Last of Us Part Two. Um, you know, I, I feel like I'm getting close to the end, but I still got, you know, a, a good amount of, ahead of me. And like we kind of talked about last week, you know, Naughty Dog is just top tier. Uh, there's really very few other studios that output the type of quality. And, you know, well, Steph said that there's kind of mixed reaction. It, it's mostly critically it fucking killed. Like, it's at 95 on Metacritic. You don't see that nowadays. I mean, if your game gets past 90 in today's climate, that's fucking amazing. Um, so a 95 is, like, almost unheard of. Um, Fan-wise, it is very mixed. And from what I've played so far, I mean, from what I've heard is basically, you know, people don't like where the story kind of ends up and, and, and stuff like that, which as far as I've played, I haven't experienced that aspect yet. What I played so far has been fantastic. Um, and I'm very intrigued to see where it goes and what decisions they make in the storytelling that seems to have rubbed some people the wrong way. And a lot of people also love it too. So it, it is very divisive. Um, and I want to see my own take on it uh, and see how I feel. But right now what I've played 25 hours in, I've absolutely loved. I feel this game plays a lot better than the first one, or at least it feels better. Um, and Mike and Steph can probably attest to this. You know, the combat in this game is—I mean, one—they've improved it a lot in the first one, but I don't know if I ever felt as satisfied getting headshots in any other game than this game. When I get someone in the head, it's probably because your ammo is so scarce, your resources are so limited. So to to eliminate an enemy without having to expend a lot of your supplies is satisfying in itself, but. I don't know what it is. It just feels good. The The little icon they give you with the little red lines going out mean like, oh, you got a headshot. This dude's head's fucking exploded. Um, and then sometimes doing the doing that in succession, like where I, I pop one guy and the other guy's like, what? And I pop in. I'm like, oh, you just it, a lot of games are power fantasies to make you feel like this ultra god. And there were scenes in the second game where I just felt like fucking god. Don't fuck with me and Ellie in tall grass because you about to get fucked up and you're we're fighting these these people that are all supposed to be sneaky and they're doing these whistles like oh woo, 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 woo. i'm over here and i'm like you're not tricking nobody arrow to the head and i run and one of the things i love about too that they did in uncharted 4 which i think has helped the combat i mean for me personally a great deal is in a lot of these games and mike you're probably experiencing this in the first game you even mentioned that you don't like stealth in the first one as much you just kind of go guns blazing and right. part of what makes that that those games difficult is that you have one opportunity for stealth. You start in stealth. The guys don't know you're there. Once that's broken, all the enemies know the fuck where you are. You can run wherever you want. They can see through walls. They know where you're positioned at. Um, what they did in Uncharted 4 is that you can get back into stealth. So essentially you can kill some people. They might, enemies might see where you are, but if you can get undercover and uh, break line of sight, they'll lose where you are and you can start sneaking around again and getting kills and that is so satisfying in this game because it, it's hard to, to stay in stealth because most of your guns are going to make noise and a lot of your weapons are going to make noise there's very few ways to eliminate someone without anyone else seeing you or hearing you so to be able to make a ruckus but then just fucking hit the jets and just run away and just fucking run for your life and then hide and then think about like, okay they don't know where i am anymore and you start sneaking around it just it makes you feel really really badass um so i've been really enjoying it obviously um there's so many little details that we talked about last week but yeah i i am also like stefan said i'm really interested to complete it to f get the full story and kind of see where i land on it because right now it, it, i'm having a, a great time playing it um i did want to mention a couple other things uh this week to kind of once i burn out of last of us uh, iron man vr is coming out i played the demo of that a month ago and i really liked it so i'm interested to see what a full scale Iron Man VR game looks like. Uh, Who's be behind it? Who's the studio on it? Uh, they're called Camouflage. They've made a couple other VR games, but they're not like a huge studio. Um, and essentially their story is like, there is a lot of companies vying for this IP um, and they just nailed Iron Man the best. They figured out how to do Iron Man in VR and kind of get that motion control to really work and make it just feel... Because basically how you fly in Iron Man is you have your two little uh, move controllers and the the little story everyone says is like, the guys at the demo would be like, how do you think Iron Man flies? And you like, put your arms down like this. He's like, yup. And how does Iron Man shoot? Like, put my hand like this. Like, yup, you got it. And then you go. So, I mean, it's kind of hokey, but uh, it, actually playing it, I really enjoyed it. Um, 
Lastly, something that me and Steph both watch. I don't know, Mike, maybe you saw it. Oh, I, yeah. I know Bobby didn't. Um, I, I heard rumblings of, or actually, I just saw the icon on my um, my PS4 bunch with Netflix shows, and there's one called uh, Floor is Lava. And without knowing anything else, I can guess what this show is about, some kind of obstacle show where you're jumping around a room trying not to touch the floor. We've all played it as a kid. Um, so in and of itself, that premise is really appealing. And so I, I checked it out. And I'll repeat, that premise is really good. They got something there. The production of the show is fucking dog shit and makes it really hard to watch. Um, and I told Stefan, like, this is the widest show I've ever seen in my entire life. It is just so cringy and hokey. And everything just seems so scripted. It really, I mean, they have they have a great idea. And they're kind of botching it at every level with the contestants, the things that come out of their mouth. It's just like... I never had, I never watched a game show where like I'm actively rooting against all the contestants because they all just don't, they do not appeal to a person. They can appeal, and it just seems like they're going for a very wholesome kind of demographic, but it's just like all the guys are like, they're all saying these like hokey jokes and they're all acting like they don't know what's going on. Like they weren't briefed about what the show is. Like they, they get in this room, they're like, whoa, I can't, the floor is lava. What did I sign up for? And then, there's like, what does this rope do? Does it do? And it's like, of course you know it does something. They obviously told you in the back. Don't play me like an idiot. Uh, but in and of that, it is kind of an interesting show. Look, my, my favorite part of this podcast has been Mark's internal mental monologue while he watches and plays stuff. That's my favorite <laughs> part. I, I love forming opinions on these things, especially I when mean, they're uh, great or awful. <laughs> no, I genuinely am enjoying yeah. the hell out of it. <laughs> Mark is right about everything he said. Uh, it's funny because he asked if I'd heard of it. No, well, I was like, I was like, I got through three episodes and then I quit. Mark it, was like, I got through two and I gave yeah, up. Yeah, and that kind of thing, like when Stefan, when you said you watched it, I was like, oh, you know, you, you kind of binge stuff. So like maybe you watched all of it. But you're like, oh, I got three episodes and I couldn't do it. I was like, oh, yeah, we watched two and I don't know if I'm going to come back for more because, yeah. like I said, it's such a great idea. Like I almost want this to fail and then someone else to pick it up. Cause it's just like, they're going for like the lowest common denominator. It is really middle America that they're shooting for. And I think you don't need to do that. I think you can just the, the concept itself and the struggle that they're going to go through trying to get through the obstacle is more than enough entertainment. You don't have to splice in these really bad jokes all the time. P people like obstacle courses. Obstacle courses are the best game shows. And they like obstacle courses where people are going to get hurt. And while I haven't seen anyone seriously get injured a lot of the they have to make a lot of jumps and all these people just land with either their chest or their face and <laughs> it's just like they just like, land onto this shit and I'm like oh, I, I feel like i'm being lied to right from the beginning because you know the floor is not lava okay mike so, another maybe one of the only ever redeeming aspects of the show uh, is you're, the, you're gonna, yeah give them the cell this is the thing yeah. this is the best thing about the show though. The, the, i mean it the problem is is that this is great they should have gone a step further they play it up when someone falls in the lava they go no rebecca and the camera work is good you never see the person they basically they probably told them you know in production when you go in the lava submerge yourself completely we're gonna cut you're not gonna you're we're not gonna see them unsubmerged so that part's awesome. What makes it less awesome is I think they need to commit to the bit. Because then after the obstacle course, they have all three of them together. And they're like, oh, that was so much fun. It's like, no, yeah, Rebecca's dead. They're lava. Rebecca's they're dead. Lava. She's dead. You don't get to talk to her anymore. She fell in the pit. I'm sorry. You don't get to be on TV anymore. That would have made it more fun. That, that Those are really, it's two redeeming qualities. Is that like the premise is fun. The obstacles themselves are kind of fun and interesting. And the room is designed well. Um, and then the them having to stick stick to the bit that like people are actually like, burning in lava is funny. I wish they stuck to it the full way through because I almost wish it was like if you fall in the lava, you don't get the money. You, you get ten G's if you win, and if you fall in the lava, you don't get the money, and your your mom and brother get it, and you don't. Sorry, <laughs> I think that would have been funny as well. But um, like it is a show that like I don't like. I can't. I'm not going to recommend that like you're going to love it. If I recommend you watch it. The critics seem to like it more than the people. Yeah, which you really weird. just need one episode to see what oh. the obstacle course is. And that's ten all you minutes need. In, ten minutes in, that was a, as they explain the game, show you the obstacles, and then you meet the first team. The first team is like three white ladies, and they are the worst. No, They're no, awful. it's a family. It's <laughs> oh, a the family? This is Netflix, okay. right? Yeah, yeah, and it is just like, the first thing me and Christine said, like, well, I don't want them to win at all. They're awful and annoying and cringy. I, I hope they all burn in lava. And it, um, it doesn't get better. There, I told it, Mark, there's a lot of Filipinos in the first three episodes, between the first three episodes, and because apparently they filmed in Northern California, because they're all from around the Bay Area. So it seems we, it seems we missed a local casting call. 
Yeah. After the I, uh, first episode, I literally told Christine, like, because everyone was white in that first episode. I was like, the second episode, better have someone of some diversity of any, even give me someone with like a braid or something, like anything to distinguish between all these white people with their corny like, ass joke. This seems like the type of show that if we weren't in Corona times and you know, they weren't scraping the bottom of the barrel of new content to put on Netflix. I don't think it would have made it. I mean, Mike, I think this thing was made before Corona. There, wow, speak- the bad thing is, there is a big audience for this. It's just not us. Um, but with that being said, maybe watch it and maybe that stuff won't rub you so- the wrong way so much that you can enjoy the show. I think for me and Steph, it's kind of tough. It's really going to be like, I'm going to be like, is there anything else for me to consume at this point? And if not, maybe we give episode three a chance. But it is cringe. Um, but some people like that. Some people like to see people just make kind of fools of themselves and not, not in the stance that like you think they're like, like, like stupid. It's just like, they're just corny. It's just so corny and just hokey and just fake. And it's just like, Ugh, it's, we don't it's need when, It's when someone thinks they're funny. It's that feeling where you're like, this isn't working on any level, but they keep going because they think they're doing great. That's just kind of that icky feeling I have, like watching and listening to the whole thing. Say, one of the teams that me and Stefan liked and then instantly unliked was once they started yelling YOLO a bunch, you're like, all right, we're we're done here. Okay, you got you, you got all crotchety old man with them on that. Well, one. it's because <laughs> no, so they, they, they I remember this team. They were three Northern California teachers, and one of them was Filipino, and the other one, um, I'm not totally sure. Um, I was maybe Middle Eastern or some kind. Yeah, but they introduced that. that they're them too. They're the cool teachers, and then the white lady, she's the lame strict teacher. And then their example of being cool is because they said YOLO a lot. And I'm like, okay, you're the teacher who thinks they're wait, cool wait, but is out of touch the, with the kids wait, as well. Wait, wait, there was a Filipino. Okay, guy, wait, there was a Fili- wait, wait a second. There's a Filipino and a Middle Eastern guy. Stefan, this could be me and you and like some on the show. We missed the <laughs> casting call because they're all from Northern California. <laughs> like, all right. Yeah, and the white, the third one was white. Yeah, you, me, and Mark were a team that could have failed and been told to say really terrible like one-liners. I'll be honest. I'm fucking shocked. This podcast hit an hour this week. With the one, <laughs> but then I can't. Look, man, this, this is where we're at. We're just consuming uh, a lot. Well, of honestly, content. I, I was I saw Netflix had Perry Mason, and I was just a new Perry Mason. And I'm like, oh, and I was like, Mark should get me excited about that. But then I remembered you are a Columbo guy, not a Perry Mason guy. Oh, yeah, I don't know who the fuck so, Perry Mason is, but I heard this new show supposed to be good. He's Perry a, Mason. Uh, I know the guy who um, plays him is the guy from The Americans, Matthew. So yeah, that, that I, I was mildly intrigued by that. I heard the review. The reviews are okay. I, I don't know. I guess I can't question. I had my random old shows I liked, but I mean that was an old Dude, old show Ma- when Ma- we were Marcus, young. Was, like, well, I'm just Marcus knows it. So I was uh, I was dealing with a bit of a software disaster and I had to do a lot of, of uh, data entry today, basically. Um, and I was playing some stuff on a laptop and some a show in the background. Marcus, what show was that? It was Frasier, and they leaned on yep. that laugh track a lot more because yeah. <laughs> me and my co-worker Mike were saying, like, what do you think he's watching? And, and, and I'm at my Chris, and Chris was like, he's probably watching Frasier. And I was like, I don't think Frasier has this many laughs in it. As someone that's never Frasier. watched the phone has just judged it prematurely, I was like, they're not telling this many jokes. It's mostly wine sipping, right? That's my impression <laughs> of what Look, it was about. I, I mean this in all seriousness. If you take away any of my recommendations in the 300-plus episodes of this podcast, in the top five is watch Frasier. All right, you will not be disappointed by Frasier. I think Simpsons ruined Frasier for me because they they were the ones that just made it seem like a snooty patootie, like high comedy. Is like, ah, this isn't for me. I'm lowbrow here. I'm there, watching Forrest Lava. I'm there, not watching Frasier. <laughs> that's why you'd appreciate Frasier's dad and Roz, who check Frasier with Speak, his bullshit. Speaking of The Simpsons, Mark, Sideshow Bob, played by Frasier Crane. Oh, yeah. Oh, I know. They had the episode where uh, Sideshow Bob's brother was played by um, David Pierce. Pierce. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, really, if you want to leave with anything today, it's that you should probably play The Last of Us 2. Oh, probably one. Do you guys play one before you play two? Yes. Yeah, you yeah. Have, it's one. Very much. Oh, have you heard nothing? It's very much a story-based game. You no, I know I got that. I'm just making sure. You know, some people like to skip ahead. Um, gosh, freaking yeah, man was unhappy. And you, you, you should watch. You know, should also eat corn dogs. You should do, and, do all this thing. Eat a corn dog while you're doing all these things. I was gonna say, if you want to eat, if you want to not play and eat at the same time, when you're done playing and it's time to eat, watch Frasier while you enjoy your corn dog. But apparently, not those turkey corn dogs from Trader Joe's. That's my other takeaway. 
Yeah, don't no no turkey trade. No no turkey corn dogs. Look, that if you want to eat turkey, eat turkey. Don't don't try to sneak turkey into other shit. All right, it's not a valid substitute. It just makes you sad. Um, all right, boys and girls, we'll be back next week. We're actually going to talk about a decent amount of MMA uh, with that huge pay per view and another. You know, we'll, we'll talk about the other card later, but really the de- the giant pay per view with three title fights. Will we have a new champion? Well, yeah. For sure. One of those belts is, you know, vacant. Will we have two new champions? I'm going to go with no. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm in my head. I'm like, I got Usman. I got Alex. Yeah, I'm going with no. Um, all right. Uh, we'll be back next week. Um, we'll see besides me and Mark what the guys think. Uh, the rest of the guys think about those fights. Um, until then, I was Dr. Law. That was Kid Presentable. That was DJ Mark. And that was Lavender Gooms. See y'all next week. Peace out. See ya. Cheers.